for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. My guest today from the class of 2016, Andrew Scaglioni. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for doing this. Uh, it's been a blast listening to all the episodes so far and just learning so much about our fellow alumni. It's been a lot of fun to do, and I've learned a lot, too, as the host, and I'm excited to learn more about you. So start at the beginning. Take me through how you ended up at Syracuse and where you grew up and all that. Yeah, so grew up in North Jersey, as a lot of the uh, Syracuse <laughs> contingent comes from, the Jersey and New York tri-state area. And my dad actually went to Syracuse, did not do anything on the radio or TV or JPZ side. He was in Maxwell for public policy. So he was kind of that first planted the little seed in my head that Syracuse is cool. We would used to drive up through there to visit our cousins in Rochester, went to some games growing up, always went to varsity when we stopped on campus. And then one of my dad's best friends who he met in college was Dana Wolkoff, who's obviously one of our most talented and successful alumni. So Dano and I and my dad and actually our families were very close growing up. And I love to tell this story. Mm -hmm. So my dad and Dano become great friends in college. My mom met Laura, Dano's wife, growing up in the Cleveland area, which is where I live now. And my parents met at their wedding. Oh, wow. Yeah. Your parents met at the Wolkoff wedding. Yes. Talk about full circle. That's amazing. It really is. So and our families grew up vacationing together together. So we we were always and still are very close to them. So I always kind of had that Syracuse seed in my head. And once I got to high school, we didn't have a radio station. We had a TV program. I think it was just a couple of classes, but that got taken away before I was old enough to take those classes. Still, I wrote for the school paper, loved sports, realized, oh, I could actually do this as a career and do this in college. Syracuse seems like the logical choice. And Went for the campus tour. It was mid-February. It was a blizzard, and I absolutely loved it. (laughs) Even in the blizzard? Even in the blizzard, and that's kind of when I knew. Then I got an early decision to Syracuse, so it was a no-brainer from there on out. I'm glad to see that you got the real uh, teaser, unlike the folks who go up on like a senior, a high school senior reception and have like a (laughs) 70-degree day, and like, oh, it's beautiful up here. No, 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 they're just surprised when they get there, but... You also had, you know, 30 years of hearing about it from your dad and Dano, so I'm sure you you knew what to expect weather-wise. Yeah, I knew what to expect, and it was one of those things where we got snow in Jersey, we got cold, we didn't quite get the lake effect from Lake Onondaga and (laughs) the central New York snowy winters, but I I was prepared to a certain extent, and everything that I had heard about Z89 and Newhouse was on top of the weather. The weather was secondary to the experience and the education I was going to get. So did you seek out JPZ when you immediately got to campus or was it a little while later? Yeah, so I pretty much I got involved right away in all three of the student media, Citrus TV, WAER and then WJPZ. And I always considered JPZ my first home because as a lot of us and as I've heard on this podcast, that was really the first student media organization that I was able to get on air and have that opportunity to actually do production and get on air with. Mm. With Citrus TV and WAER, it was a lot more of you got to train, you got to try out, you got to kind of cut your teeth. And with Z89, you did that too, but you also got the chance a little bit sooner than the others. So I, I did get involved pretty early. And I think my first official assignment in the sports department was fall of freshman year, uh, Thanksgiving week of 2012. 
So Jeff Cuccinell is actually a good friend of mine as well. He is from Basking Ridge, New Jersey, which is the town I grew up in. Mm -hmm. So I was hitching a ride back to Basking Ridge with Jeff, who was a junior or senior at the time. But he had to stay an extra day to cover a Zach Brown concert in the Carrier Dome. Huh. What was the Carrier Dome at the time? We're all, we're all still going to call it the Carrier Dome. We have to worry about that. It's never going to be the J whatever wireless dome. It'll, it'll never be that. It went from a building named after an air conditioning company with no air conditioning to a building named after a wireless company with crappy Wi-Fi. Yeah, so that's a, a full circle on the, on that side, too. So because I had that extra day, there was a Syracuse women's basketball game down the road at Cornell. And John Nolan was our sports director at the time. So I went to him and I said, hey, I'm around the extra day. Can I tag along Shadow? And he said, yeah, you want to come do stats with us? So I said, sure. So that was my first official assignment and kind of my first taste of how you can get involved in the sports department and just get your feet wet in every different possible way. Andrew, let me stop you there for one second, because I want to just clarify for the non-sports listeners to the podcast. When you've got the broadcast team going down into the game, you've got the two folks doing play-by-play, and you got, what, one or two folks doing stats that are helping them out along with them? Correct. So usually we'd have one person kind of sitting right in the middle of the two play-by-play people. Usually one would do the first half, or they'd alternate quarters. And me as the stats person or whoever's giving stats, just sitting in the middle, jotting down little notes on post-it notes, handing them over or flashing them right in front of the play-by-play broadcaster so they could read a stat without taking their eyes off the game. Got it. So that's kind of a good way to first get involved because I'm not special in that I have a knack for remembering stats and loving stats. Everyone who wants to do sports has that little cognition. So (laughs) that's a great way to get involved because you don't have to be on air. You can just kind of sit there in the middle, but also help out with the broadcast. Got it. Okay. So you go down to the broadcast, you help them out with stats. Where does it go from there? From there, I just uh, kept on writing the, uh, we'll call them practice sports updates for John at the time. And I was one of the first, I think second or third freshman from my year to get cleared to the sports staff. And that happened, I think, early in the spring. It was either late fall or early spring of freshman year. And then I started getting involved with the sports talk shows because that was the best way to get the most airtime because we had a really awesome lineup of sports talk shows. By the time I left, there was a two-hour show Thursday nights. There was, I think, six hours Saturday morning, six hours Sunday morning. And then there was also Call It A Wrap, which was the 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. show on Sunday night. Mm -hmm. So between, if say, you have two hosts and a producer for each show, that's a lot of opportunity and that's a lot of hours of on-air experience. So I started out producing an 8 to 10 a.m. show on Saturday mornings, spring of my freshman year. And I remember at the time, our talk director was Kevin Fitzgerald, who is a tremendously talented play-by-play guy for ESPN now. And I remember seeing an email from him before the semester saying, hey, talk shows, just remember all your imaging is due on this date. And I thought, wow, we're a student station and we're, we have deadlines to get our imaging in. So this is, mm-hmm. this is serious. This is exactly like it is in the real world. Yeah. So take me from there. So you're producing a sports talk show and then take me through your kind of career path at JPZ from there. Yeah. So a- after getting cleared to air, there's so many opportunities in the sports staff. And again, I'm probably pretty unique because I just did sports and I appreciated the news department and the entertainment department and the music department, but I never had a a DJ shift. I never was part of a zoo. So I'm like exclusively in the sports side, but I, you go from there and you start to do in-studio assignments for women's lacrosse and women's basketball games. You do sports updates usually during the zoos or during the afternoon drive shifts. And you do different assignments, cutting highlights for games, 
producing, running the board, eventually working your way up to hosting. And then usually sophomore year at some point is when you get your first crack at doing play-by-play for women's lacrosse or maybe one of the last high school football games of the year, just depending on the size of the staff. So I just worked my way up, kept on getting the reps, and that's kind of where it went from there. Were you also doing stuff on air at uh, the TV station at AER at that point as well? I was. So I got cleared for WAER late. In my, I get, actually, I think it was early sophomore year. So it was okay. very much a stick to the process and keep writing the updates, keep coming in. But I wasn't actually able to go on air for a broadcast until sophomore year. So it was still working there, probably spending more time at JPZ at the time and at Citrus TV because I was also a producer slash I guess it was an analyst at the time for Q's Countdown, which was our preview show. So spent a lot of time in Watson going right right next door from Z89 <laughs> over to Citrus TV. And I know a few people have mentioned the kickball games we had. And I was thought of as somewhat of a traitor to Citrus TV when I decided to play for Z89. But that was never even a question in my mind. Yes, I'm glad you were team JPZ. Well, speaking of rivalries, let me ask you this, because over the 50-year history of these radio stations, I feel like there's been kind of an ebb and flow between AER and JPZ. And, and I think there are always JPZ folks who are going to say, oh, AER, blah 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 to those guys and, and, and whatever. And then there are also folks who worked at both and got a good experience out of working both. What was your experience between the interaction, if at all, between JPZ and AER? In my year, there was a lot of overlap when I was there. Uh, especially in the sports staff. And sure, I think it was great to work at both because you got both sides of it. You got the professional feel of a student-run station at JPZ and how we ran it, but then you actually had a real NPR professional station where the students ran the sports department and ran it in a professional way, but you also got to interact with the, you know, Chris Bolt was our news director at the time. Joe Lee, who yep. I'm still pretty close with, was the GM. And mm-hmm. just to see how they ran a real non-commercial NPR radio station was very interesting and how much they trusted us to run the sports department. So I think it was a really good experience when you put them together. Not that JPZ isn't a tight ship, but maybe it's a little more of a tight ship at WAER and you have a little more freedom at WJPZ. But working at both definitely helped me. All right, fair enough. So you graduate in 16 and take me through your career path since uh, Syracuse. After Syracuse, I thought I was going to do kind of what everyone else did, which is sports and just work my way up in sports. And, and I did for a little while. So after school, I went, I took a job as a sports reporter and anchor at KFSM TV, which was the CBS affiliate down in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So growing up in New Jersey, I was lucky to be fairly well traveled with my family. Uh, had never set foot in Arkansas. But we looked it up when I got the job offer and it said Fayetteville was one of the top five places in, in the country to live. Oh, wow. So okay. I figured there's got to be something there. Uh, so I took the job, went down to Fayetteville in the summer of 2016 and just started doing everything covering the Arkansas Razorbacks. And when you don't have a professional team in your state, they go mad for the Razorbacks. Oh, God, yeah. It's pretty entertaining. Coming from the Northeast, the ACC, the Big East, going to the SEC, football is a religion down there. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's pretty amazing to see. I can definitely agree with you on that statement because I can tell you that uh, being in the Midwest now in Michigan, that yeah. you know, growing up in the Northeast, it's more about the pro teams. But in so many other parts of the country, it's more about the college teams. And I spent a little bit of time in New Orleans and LSU country, and the SEC is a whole different ball of wax. It is. And even down there, high school football in my high school wasn't big. We had a good year. 
I think I went to four, maybe five games, probably on the high end while I was a student. <laughs> then we go down to Arkansas. High school football is everything. And oh, yeah. of course, Texas is the gold standard for high school football. Arkansas is not too far behind. I mean, they produce a lot of good players. The amount that the community cares about high school football they see you out there with your camera on Friday nights or shooting preview stories during the week. And the impact is right there. Everyone covers Arkansas, Razorback football and sports. But we prided ourselves on being the best high school coverage in the area. And it really showed. Hmm. Talking about building a following on social media from almost nothing. And suddenly all my followers are Arkansas high school parents and athletes and friends and family. And it's it, it was really cool, and I really enjoyed getting out in the community and connecting with them that way. Better than my half my Twitter followers are One Direction fans from 2011. So it's funny, you know, how, how your professional job <laughs> shapes your social media following. Yes. So how long were you in Arkansas, and where'd you go from there? So I was there for three and a half years, and after a few months working at the TV station, I also picked up a uh, morning radio production shift across the street at the Cumulus station, which was KQSM-FM, 92 won the ticket. So I was producing... Usually once, sometimes twice a week in the mornings, we'd go in for the morning show, which was six to nine in the morning. Got a few chances to fill in, but did everything from booking guests to answering the phones to putting together the podcast after the show, which at that point was really just cutting up the best of show segments and oh, yeah. putting it together with the imaging. That's a brutal schedule to do that in TV and covering games at night, isn't it? Yeah. And technically, my TV job was part time. Okay. So that's why I thought supplement it with another part time gig. But yeah, it, it wasn't a great schedule. And, um, you know, two mornings a week getting up at probably four, four thirty in the morning. And then, yeah, usually the TV shifts revolve around the game. So in the fall, that's football and then there's the crossover to basketball and all those games are at night. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you're working three to 11 or two to 10 or weekends and holidays. And I think I relatively quickly realized that maybe that wasn't the best way to have a family, uh, have a normal working relationship with my wife and my friends. And I met my wife down there at the time and we had started dating in, I guess it was 2017. Okay. So we were together for two and a half years down there. And then she got a job elsewhere and we went to Cleveland from there. Uh, back it up for a minute. In 2018, while I was still in Arkansas, I had just had shoulder surgery and was recovering. Dano calls me and said, hey, we're starting up this thing at Envision Networks where we're doing remote or virtual news, weather, and sports reports. We want you to be the sports guy. Nice. I said, sure. That sounds great. From August of 2018, I was doing some virtual sports reports for the Maryland News Network, Radio PA, which are the state networks of Maryland and Pennsylvania, and then one tiny little AM station in Muscatine, Iowa, KWPCAM. <laughs> so usually every night, I would I would go in, I'd write these little minute long reports. I'd send one for the morning and afternoon to the two state networks, and I'd just send one a day to the AM station. So that helped me get more involved with Envision Networks. And then when my wife got a job in Cleveland, I called Dano and said, Hey, we're moving to Cleveland. Jeez. Anything full time. And the JPZ connection pays off. And with Dano, the lifelong connection pays off. And he said, can you do affiliate relations? And I said, well, I've never done it, but I'm willing to try. So I joined Envision in November of 2019, did affiliate relations, kept on doing the sports reports for a while too. And then I, I always joke about it with the guys at the company who I still see sometimes that me joining Envision was the start of this like crazy, <laughs> it just started a crazy chain of events because that was November of 2019. 
So a few months later, uh, Sun Broadcast Group comes in and the merger happens with Envision and Sun. And then a month after that, the pandemic hits. And then the next year was working remotely and getting, getting, getting everything figured out that way. And then we rebranded the company the year after that from Sun to G Networks. So it was just never ending change from that point. But basically for the next two and a half years after that, I worked in network radio doing affiliate relations and then still doing some sports reports. And is that where you are now? Uh, so now in February of 2022, and I can say that now because it's 2023 when we're recording this. I joined a company called Radio Cloud, which is where I am now. And this was through a connection I made while in network radio. They tipped me off on this company and I looked into it. It's a cloud-based automation system for radio stations. So hmm. you have okay. you have your audio vaults, you have NextGen, RCS, all the traditional systems. And Radio Cloud, it's a German product that was trying to break into the U.S. market. So they hired a U.S. team, and that's what I'm doing, more or less affiliate relations or sales, and then little on the marketing side and trying to grow the brand and get it onto stations here. Automation systems are not easy to sell, so it's still very much a work in progress and a cloud-based automation system, which to dumb it down is basically you can run your station in a web browser from anywhere. Wow. So it's pretty futuristic. And I've always found that Europe is a little ahead of the U.S. in terms of technology innovations, especially for radio. So I'm pretty confident that within the next few years, this thing's going to take off. And it's exciting because I know, I know at JPZ, we have always the best of the best for the students so they can learn and get ready to move into the market. So hopefully with this next crop of students moving to the market, cloud-based automation systems become a thing of not just the future, but of the present. So I think it's an exciting time to be a part of this company, Radio Cloud, and I'm excited to see where we go from here. Very cool. Well, let me ask you a question. You probably heard me ask other folks who have been working in radio on other episodes of the podcast, Andrew, and that is as somebody who's working in an automation software right now, and then also who did affiliate relations and spoke to all these other radio stations, what is your take on the state of the radio industry right now and what it needs to do to stay important in people's lives? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting discussion right now because Everything is changing so rapidly with you have your big companies, your iHearts, your Odysseys. It seems like every few months you see one of the articles, write-ups in the trades about the rifts, yeah. the reduction in forces and just consolidation, you know, people downsizing their studios and all the news seems to be negative, but I don't think it is because we have this amazing crop of talent all across the industry that's evolving and doing podcasts and doing digital content and sharing audio across multiple stations and across the ownership group. I mean, to stay relevant, it's just got to be, I think one of the last episodes I listened to, uh, you guys were talking about audio in cars and how do you get audio into more cars, not just from the radio, but from other sources. Alex Silverman, I think that was, yeah. That's going to be the key is making everything as available as possible because the younger generation does not listen to radio as we did growing up and as people older than us and maybe even just slightly younger than us did. It's a lot different, but it's all still audio. It's all still content and people still engage with that content and with those personalities. So I still think radio is in pretty good shape. And I think maybe it was Mark that said the other day when I listened to that episode that the, he thought the AM band was going to go away. I could see that happening in the near future because I know in Europe right now, they're going a lot of mm -hmm. what we have HD radio here. They have DAB in Europe 
And a lot of countries, I think Norway is one of them, have gone completely digital with radio and just taken off not only the AM band, but also the FM band. That is fascinating. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. Let me bring it back around to JPZ. Tell me um, if you can think of any lessons you learned while at the station that have served you well in your career since graduating, Andrew. Yeah, one of the lessons I always go back to is always be willing to ask whether it's and I've had to do it a few times in my career, ask for a raise as uncomfortable as it is. Just what's the worst that's going to happen? You're told no. Right. When I was hosting a talk show at Z89, I learned pretty quickly, you can get really high profile guests on, even if you're a student station, because people like to talk about what they do. They like to talk about their work. And we're kind of everyone in the sports industry, I feel like has to have a little bit of an ego. Oh, yeah. And that's a good thing when you're hosting a talk show and you say, hey, do you want to come on and be a guest on our talk show? So we were able through some legwork and some previous connections, we were able to get Peter King on our show. Oh, wow. We got Eric DaCosta, who's the GM of the Ravens now, was the assistant GM at the time. We got Mike Tannenbaum on the show, who was the GM of the Jets and the Dolphins. I'm not sure which one he was at the time when he came on, but I think have to go back and see if I have this audio. I'm not sure if I do. I think I straight up asked Eric DaCosta and disclosure, I'm a Ravens fan. I think I asked him, is Joe Flacco elite? Oh, Which was the you flat out asked him that debate. I think I flat out asked him that. And I think he he danced around it in a very good way. You know, Joe's our quarterback and uh, yeah, which and I love Joe Flacco. He got the Ravens a Super Bowl. But I think I had the actually had the cojones to ask him that, which was pretty. Uh, I don't know. I feel like that's a very JPZ thing where we're always willing to ask whether you know, whatever it is. And I think that was one of the main lessons I learned. Another one being just don't burn bridges because yeah, no matter who you meet, you never know who's going to come back to help you down the road in your career, in your personal life. Um, your story about asking Mary to get the, uh, the bottle from the distillery for you is an amazing example of that. Jack Daniels. Yeah. Just don't burn bridges and build up your network and just do your best to keep in touch with them and you never know what's where it's going to bring you. In addition to having the carrier, you know, what's in a wheelbarrow to ask a question like that. Any other funny stories that uh, come to mind from your time at JPZ? There's a few. I mean, we have so many great stories from our time there. I think of one one or two mornings when I came in for an 8 a.m. talk show uh, on the weekends, got there at seven, didn't hear anything coming out of the speaker, went into the station and oh no, either someone forgot to flip it back to auto mode or what, but it just nothing was playing. So me at the time, being this guy growing up liking rock music and classic rock and, and indie rock and everything, <laughs> I'm like, oh, we, we don't need to play, you know, 30 minutes of top 40 music to fill to the top of the hour. Let me just see what we have in the library. Green Day. Great. Drag in a Green Day song. And now I'm like breaking the format. That's that's a big no, no. Sacrilege. It is sacrilege. <laughs> so that that was one memory I think of. And just to dog on myself a little for breaking the format. But I think when I came in, we were just transitioning from the beat of Syracuse to your party station with the branding and the, and the logo, which you okay. can't see, but I'm wearing on my shirt is the new logo. So the rebranding kind of happened while I was there. We had so many talented people at the station and every department that were doing promotions and doing events. 
I know Allie Gold was on the podcast. She talked about helping start that kickball, Citrus for C89 kickball. I think that's still going on today. That was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. One year after we played kickball, Z89 won, and I had a afternoon sports update that day, so I did 90 seconds on the kickball game. <laughs> that's great. And I know, I know I still have that audio somewhere, too. Hey guys, breaking news from Syracuse in the first ever Z89 vs. Citrus TV kickball game. Radio prevailed over television. Z89 won 9-6. After jumping out to an early lead, it was the defense that kept WJPZ on top. Head coach Lucas Favalli recalls one play in particular. The lineup came through up and down, and the fielding was just tremendous. Uh, turned a triple play out there. Come on, you don't see that very often. Just really well done. Pavali made some otherwise decisions as well. Leadoff hitter John Paul Chunga went 4-for-4 four four with three runs scored, and lefty Jeff Kirkjian went 2-for-4 four four but tallied two home runs and five RBIs. Those two were co-MVPs of the game. But another key factor for Z89 was the pitching. Jay Alter threw seven strong innings before Coach Favali made the decision to go to the pen. Jay was really throwing the ball very well. It was uh, We thought he probably could have got another inning, Jeff really, he, he looked good in the pen, though. We, we watched him before the game in the pen, saw what we liked out there, thought he could certainly come in and get at least three outs, maybe six. Reliever Jeff Cuccinell only reached base one of four times, but came in for the six-out save. The great Cuccino downed six of the final seven batters, including the ever-elusive strikeout in the bottom of the ninth. So once again, in the first annual Z89 vs. Citrus TV kickball game, WJPZ came out on top 9-6 to six behind explosive offense, solid defense, and shutdown pitching. Jay Alter with the win, Jeff Cuccinell with the save, and Coach Lucas Favalli can expect a Gatorade bath in the near future. And the Watson Cup goes to radio. Andrew Scaglione, Z89 Sports. I don't know. I was just, no one needs to hear about Syracuse sports right now. They need to hear about the important things. <laughs> and your Z89ers beating Citrus TV and kickball was the important things of that day. So uh, I'll, I'll give you one more funny story. Sure, sure. One of Dano's great family friends had a son who at the time was a senior looking at school. And they figured, oh, let's just have Dano take him up so we don't have to make a trip to Syracuse. Uh, his name's Max Spillman. So we went to banquet. The three of us, Max got dragged along. And he was probably thinking, whoa, this is such a tight-knit group. Like, I feel very out of place here because even for some of the younger alums who haven't met everyone who's made such an impact on the station, it's a lot of people just, yeah. it's a weekend for the alums to reminisce. That's exactly what it is. And so after that, there was the two after parties. I think one was in the hotel lobby and one was at a house on Ostrom or something. So Dan was like, take Max to the house on Ostrom. I'm like, okay, what better way to introduce a prospective student to Syracuse than take him to a, a <laughs> Z89 after party? And long story short, Max Spillman is now a student at Syracuse. So nice. I don't know if, uh, if, if our weekend helped at all. Uh, I think he's sports management, but I thought that was kind of a funny little story to add on the power of the Z89 Alumni Association. It's funny how stories echo through the generations. I remember as a music jock uh, with uh, Brett Bossy who connected us, our senior year was the first year the Patriots won the Super Bowl and we're both Patriots fans. And I remember talking about right. the Patriots on JPZ, I think in a music show. And I think somebody in management was like, you think a 16-year-old high school student in Syracuse cares about the New England Patriots? I'm like, yeah, my team, they finally won the Super Bowl. First time in my life. Stick to me. 
Mary J. Blige Jag. Okay, fine. So yeah, exactly. And I on a sports talk show, I feel like we had a little more leeway with that. Sure. But even so, like I'm a big tennis fan. I'm a big golf fan. No one really cares about those sports. <laughs> they're listening to a top 40 station, even if they're listening for sports talk. So even I had to rein myself in a little and just, yeah, know your audience is another very important lesson. Try to make everything as relatable as possible, no matter who's listening. Any relationships that come to mind? You've already mentioned a couple folks, but people that you've uh, met at the station, either that were classmates of yours or other alumni that you've been able to maintain relationships to this day. Obviously, you mentioned Dano. Yeah, so Dano has been one of my great friends and, and connections. Um, I would say Mike Cousins has become one recently. We were both in Cleveland for a few years and became close. We actually even had him on our sports talk show once while we were in school. He was up to call a game at the Carrier Dome and came in. And I just remember my first thought was, wow, he's really tall. Yes. But we became great friends uh, when we moved to Cleveland, my wife and I. And then uh, Craig Hoffman has always been, I was just always very connected with him. He was always willing to critique my tapes and listen to my sports talk segments. And Craig was very helpful in 2016. So when the Syracuse women made the national championship in basketball, I was fortunate enough that year, knowing my pecking order at WAER, I was not going to get to call a men's tournament game. Right. So I said to our sports director at the time, who was Paul Mancano at Z89, I said, I want to do the women's tournament run. And he said, yeah, fine, it's yours. So Seth Goldberg, who's one of my great friends to this day from Z89, he and I did the first two rounds in the Carrier Dome. Syracuse made the Sweet 16. I said, great, where are they going? They're going to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. <laughs> How do we get to Sioux Falls, South Dakota? But Z89 and uh, Sam Candell was our GM at the time, and she found some money in the budget, uh, but only for one person, okay. and that one person was me. So I spent a weekend in Sioux Falls, South Dakota in March. Really cool town, actually, just not when it's freezing cold. And got to see Syracuse beat Tennessee and then South Carolina, just perennial powers, Yeah, make the final four. And then the final four was in Indianapolis and went to that too. I think that was during banquet week in 2016. Okay. Because I think I had tickets to banquet and had to say, well, I'm not going to be able to go because we have the national semifinals going on during the banquet. I'm pretty sure it was a Saturday, Monday. And got to broadcast the final four from that game. And I guess the tie back to Craig is that he helped with a lot of the imaging and he helped us voice a new open for the semifinal and the national championship game. But that was just a really cool experience because we figured this is a probably once in a generational yeah. event to broadcast on the station. Even if they lose in the final four, let's give it our all. So we did what normally is a 15-minute pregame show, Orange Women's Warm-Up, turned into a 30-minute pregame show, and we ran some special features, did a few interviews on site, and it was a great broadcast. I think Paul Mancano was the producer of that broadcast. Stephen Conowitz, who's one of my best friends to this day from Z89 and from Citrus TV, he was on running the board for that broadcast. It was kind of an all-hands-on-deck thing, and it turned into Syracuse making the national championship against UConn. Peterson... With a big smile on her face, dribbles out the game, and Syracuse is headed to its first ever national championship game with an 80-59 to routing of Washington in the Final Four. And back to the lesson of just ask for opportunities, I asked whoever was the media contact at the Final Four. I, my broadcast position was kind of corner on the second deck. It was a great vantage point, but I said, hey, now that two teams are gone, is there any press space courtside for a broadcaster? Oh, and okay. he said, let, let me look into it. I'll get back to you. And a little while later, he comes back and finds me and says, 
yeah, I, I have a seat for you. Second row, mid center court. I'm like, that's amazing. So I'm going to be calling a national championship game courtside. And that's exactly what happened. I still, still get goosebumps thinking about it. It was an amazing moment. Now, UConn gave Syracuse about one minute of hope in that game, and I think one by 30. <laughs> it's the UConn women's team, yeah. Yeah, and then once once we once Syracuse won, we decided let's do an hour pregame show. Sure, okay. Instead of a 30-minute. So that was just two days, and I'm like, let's see how much content we can pump out. So I did an interview with the UConn play-by-play guy, Bob Joyce. Talked to Charlie Cream on site, who's the women's bracketologist. He's the Joe Lenardi of women's basketball. And just put out a lot of content, talked to coach uh, who was coach Quentin Hillsman, coach Q at the time. And it, it was a really good weekend because we brought the whole station together for these events. And I think it coincided with a banquet weekend. So it was actually really cool. And that's like one of my fondest memories is getting to be the voice of that run and having the help from Craig and from some other alums and then having all hands on deck of the current staff just to make that happen. That is an excellent story and probably a great place to leave it. Andrew Scaglione, class of 2016, and the man who called Syracuse playing for the National Championship in women's basketball. Thank you so much for your time today and being part of the podcast. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate you doing this. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.